Good morning. This morning's reflection <clears throat> is the last in the series of reflections we've had <clears throat> over the weeks regarding the seven factors of enlightenment. And this morning we're looking at the seventh factor of awakening, equanimity. In Taos, New Mexico, where I live, we have what is considered to be a sacred mountain. It's one amongst many high mountains that surround the Taos Valley. This mountain is actually within the Taos Pueblo, the village of the Tiwa Indians that sits on the north edge of the town. And this particular mountain is sacred to the Tiwa people, and it's also a sacred symbol for many Taosinos. I have the good fortune to be able to look out at it and take it in in every season, any time of the day, night, on any day of the year, as it's clearly visible from where I live. This mountain, any mountain, just simply sits where it is. The sun shines on it, rain and hail fall on it, snow covers it, lightning strikes it, fire sometimes rages on it. All sorts of life forms are born and die on it, living out their particular life patterns and on and with the mountain. The mountain remains unshakable, unwavering. The mountain of radical acceptance, the mountain of impartiality, the mountain of equanimity. The mountain itself is a live energy but only exists in relationship to all of the myriad, lively, constantly changing energies that constitute it. The mountain appropriately sustains and supports the activity that it's intricately and intimately connected to. The mountain of equanimity doesn't cling on It isn't attached or averse to anything. We might say that it lives, lets life live through itself, closing off to nothing and holding on to nothing. And all of this happens with the amazing grace of impartiality and balance. Equanimity is the fearlessness, the power, and the equilibrium of the mind, the heart, to experience all kinds of change. The fearlessness, the power, and the balance of heart and mind to experience every sort of manifestation and change in relationship to all of our internal experiences and in relationship to all of the external phenomena that we encounter whether these experiences are pleasant or unpleasant as they arise, change, 
and pass away. The literal translation of the word upeka, which is the Pali word for equanimity, is on looking. Equanimity looks on at the occurrence of physical and mental pleasure and pain by maintaining a neutral mode, by staying in the center, staying in the middle, watching things as they arise, change, and pass. On looking, it sees them fairly, without favoritism or bias, without partiality. We could say that the function of equanimity is to inhibit partiality. Consequently, equanimity manifests as neutrality. Upeka is the equipoise, the balance or equilibrium between the opposing forces in the mind of the desired and the undesired. This equipoise of equanimity offsets the weightiness of greed, the weightiness of aversion. It's that point of balance in the middle of the seesaw of life. The mind, the heart, doesn't move towards, nor does it move away. So how does one look on at the mind with equanimity? What contributes to this looking on in this way? What contributes to this capacity of relating to all things with equanimity. So this morning, just a simple example in relationship to our meditation practice. Maybe in the sit this last evening or this morning or a few days ago, you're sitting And at one point you notice that the mind and the body are calm, maybe even serene and tranquil, and this is known. And you recognize that the focusing power of the mind, concentration, is evenly and repeatedly connecting with whatever the object of attention is. Maybe it's breath, maybe it's sensations in the body, sound, The mind, whatever the attention of the mind with whatever the object of attention is, it isn't listless. It isn't agitated. But rather it's interested and appropriately energized. And at times like this, there really isn't any interest in or necessity for exerting or restraining or encouraging the mind in any way. In relationship to our practice and our life as our practice, just simply and clearly recognizing, acknowledging, and noting that this is what is occurring, that these factors of mind are in place for however long, maybe briefly or maybe for a longer period of time, and very important, and not always so easy, 
doing this without any attachment. This process and aspect of practice is actually something that contributes to the blossoming of the state of equanimity, thus contributing to our capacity to relate to all things, to relate to all phenomena with equipoise and composure. And as we all know from our own life and our own meditation practice experience, until equanimity is really, truly matured, we lose and regain our balance over and over again. And I'm sure that every one of us has experienced the pretense of equanimity within ourselves in the midst of greed or dislike or resentment or anger, fear or disappointment. The maybe glossing over or ignoring these states and pretending to oneself. The pretense of equanimity, the oh, doesn't really matter attitude, or it's really all just fine, or I'm really just fine, which is often accompanied by a slight or maybe not so slight moving away from, a mental and physical contraction, which is not equanimity, but is actually indifference, which is the near enemy of equanimity, indifference masquerading as upekka. And of course we also know from our own experience that when we're inflamed with greed or dislike, anger, fear, disappointment or resentment, it's extremely difficult and maybe isn't even possible to look on at those moments with a true equanimity. Upeka is based on an attentive, clear presence of mind, not on dullness or indifference. It's not a kind of casual passing mood, nor is it produced by exertion or created by the intellect. It's the result of, it's one of the fruits of our practice, the fruit of training the mind, training the heart, through the development and blossoming of the factors of mindfulness, investigation, a balanced effort and energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, loving-kindness, and compassion. Along the way of our practice, with the development and blossoming of a growing degree of equanimity, which the Buddha called relative equanimity, we find that we have the strength more and more often to endure when we need to endure and we find that we see clearly more often when that's what's called for. 
we have the possibility of not continuing to blindly fall into the same holes over and over again, but to begin to walk down a different street. And closing our reflection this morning with a short piece from the Buddha, from the Udana, the inspired utterances of the Buddha. And this is the Buddha speaking about what could be called holy equanimity or absolute equanimity. Whose mind stands like a mountain, steady, it is not perturbed, unattached to things that arouse attachment, unangered by things that provoke anger. When her or his mind is cultivated thus, how can suffering come to him? How can suffering come to her? <laughs> 